tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys, and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geeks Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. That is right, we are the Geeks Watch and we are here to keep an eye on all the geek news that you need to know. And eventually, you know, as as of right now, we're talking also about uh, Game of Thrones, but today we will be talking about the last episode of Season 6. So, uh, after after that, until the next season comes back, we will be talking about other geek things. If there's a certain show that you want us to talk about, uh, go ahead and write into us. So, before that, John, uh, how, how have you been this week? Well, I've been good, Mitch. How about yourself? <laughs> good. I, you know, after the season finale of the, of Game of Thrones, it was, it it was all downhill. Not joking, it, because it was a good episode. So it's just, uh, it's it was just uh, a, a regular week for me. Um, oh, were you gonna say something? Oh, then no. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say. All right. I said, let's just get right into the geek news. Uh, I know you had your first article ready to go. Yes. Um... Harry Potter fans might be delighted to hear this one. Uh, Tom Felton will be joining Flash season three as a cast regular. Uh, you know, I always wondered. I wonder how. What is the crossover on Harry Potter fans and Flash TV show fans? <laughs> well, I imagine Cisco, most of the people. Oh, what was I going to say, Cisco? Cisco seems to be a big Harry Potter fan. Well, Cisco just seems to be a big geek nerd <laughs> in general. <laughs> well, from my experience attending the um, the library Comic Con there in Yuma in the past, yep. um, the fandoms tend to overlap in really unusual ways. I mean, we have this one girl who has like a, a web page dedicated to Doctor Who, Supernatural, and Sherlock all together. You know that's so funny because I go when I go to the Phoenix Comic Con one, I noticed that um, a lot too. There's a lot of the that those specifically those three shows uh, have a super fandom where the three of them cross over a lot, and I don't know why. I don't I don't get. It. I mean, I like all three shows. Don't get me wrong, but I don't. I mean, and I can understand why Doctor Who and Sherlock because they're run by the same person, but why does Supernatural get thrown in there too? I'm guessing because it's of the the beefcake factor. <laughs> oh, so it's just a bunch of dreamy dudes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so yeah, Tom Felton is has been cast in season five of of Flash, and season three. Season um, three. That's what I meant because yeah. <laughs> it's season five of Arrow. Season three of Flash. <laughs> I was like, wait for it. <laughs> 
Yeah, and uh, it sounds like he's going to play uh, a fellow CSI agent at the in the uh, Flashpoint uh, storyline, apparently. So by all accounts, it doesn't seem like he's going to be a super-powered villain. He's probably just going to be more of like a, a, a rival. Um, I was joking earlier that he's going to be this season's Patty. Um, <laughs> but, you know, maybe I'm shipping a little too early there. Maybe. I mean, but then again, we don't even know. Maybe in this Flashpoint uh, timeline, uh, Barry might not even be a CSI agent because, I mean, the whole reason why he became a CSI agent is because he wanted to solve the crime of his mother dying and help out his father. And if his mother doesn't die, why does he need to become a CSI agent? You know what I mean? Very good point. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all up in the air at this point. We don't know much. Um, I don't even know if they've begun filming yet. So, Yeah, I don't think they have. Yeah. But uh, it's exciting nevertheless because, you know, here you have somebody who is pretty prominent in one property and is not going to be gracing with his appearance in this property. So, I mean, the the worlds will start merging even more so now. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, my first article is about Wreck-It Ralph. They've uh, announced that there's going to be Wreck-It – they're starting to work on Wreck-It Ralph 2, and the director uh, revealed some um, – clues or plot points that he wanted to reveal now the director's name is uh something more rich Moore, and he said that this time around wreck it ralph will make his way out of the arcade and into the internet so we got a big vast area of of uh gaming that he can definitely be involved in and uh i guess the director himself is a huge fan of tron both the movies and the games, so he hopes to be able to throw in some nods to Tron, which I imagine Disney, who is the, you know the people who make Wreck It Ralph, w- wouldn't be too upset about that. No, I don't see that at all. Um, and I mean, we're we're due for some more Tron action because I felt like Legacy was a bit disappointing, and the potential's there. And this would be a great way to expand on that. I'd love to see what they can come up with because uh, Wreck-It Ralph was pretty good. You know, some people call it the video game version of Toy Story, and I don't see anything wrong with that because Toy Story was cool too. So, yeah, no, I mean, I I, I agree completely, and I I think that uh, Tron. I personally liked Tron Legacy, and I think that you're right. I think they need to expand on that whole franchise a little more. You can. I could do without um, Garrett Hundlin, but uh, other than that, I thought the movie was good. Yeah, that was my biggest problem with the movie also. He just <laughs> seemed kind of uncharismatic. But, <laughs> it's been done. And what else do you have for me? Uh, the next one's tying in to only tangentially to the whole Harry Potter universe is uh, the sequel for Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is already finished, according to... Uh, J.K. Rowling, and um, they're actually already started working on the third. So before the first movie even comes out, they've already got the second one in the pipeline, and the third one is already looks like it's happening. So, well, I, mean, I think yeah, this one's probably going to be a success because you know a huge part of the fan base is in North America, and this one's going to be pandering a little bit more to our side of the pond, and I mean. More Harry Potter doesn't seem like a bad thing to most people. Oh, definitely not. I mean, it's 
it's a huge fan base, a huge fandom, and uh, I, the yeah, making making more of it is only going to just bring in more money. Um, yeah, I would love to hear about American based schools just to see how they're different, or at least they how they handle their students differently. Yeah, they've been trickling out information on the Pottermore website, I think, um, about the North American schools of witchcraft and wizardry. I believe it's called Ilvermorny. Kind of sounds like silver, but sure. without the F. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if that means something. That That's just the made-up word. And I think most recently they revealed what the four different houses of that school are. Uh, one of them is called like a Pugwudgie. <laughs> which I'm assuming is the Hufflepuff of this school. Right. Uh, one is uh, like uh, Thunderbird, and I forget what the other two are. One of them is like another snake type thing, like Slytherin, and then you have one more. Like I said, it's it, it's pretty recent information. I haven't really looked that much into it, but it sounds interesting nevertheless. And I'm really curious if they're ever going to cover the uh, the Salem witch trials in the Harry Potter universe. You know, I wouldn't doubt it if they did, uh, and I wonder if they would also throw in some, like, uh, Native American holistic or, you know, mystical powers as witchcraft also. Some of the shaman stuff? Yeah, that'd be pretty neat. Yeah, especially with... I the, would see that... I was going to say, I was gonna say just especially with you saying one of the, the schools might be called Thunderbird, you know, that kind of imagery comes to mind. Oh, yeah. More like a big headdress and feathers on the arms and stuff that'd be kind of cool yeah i would imagine there being a south american school too that has like aztec and mayan stuff as well i, I think that one would be really neat that would that would make a lot of sense uh, let's see that if, appeals uh, to my hispanic sensibilities <laughs> let's see if uh jk thinks uh, that far ahead <laughs> yeah let, let me tweet at her see what she thinks <laughs> um so I, I have to admit I, I have gone on that Pottermore before and, and found out what house I was uh, 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 sorted into. Can you guess which one I was? I'm gonna guess Ravenclaw. Yeah, Ravenclaw. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I would I, think a lot of us geeks would lean towards that one a little more. Yeah, I guess that's that's true. I mean, I I really don't know much about the the different houses other than what you see in the movie so uh i was surprised i guess when i got that well everybody wants to be gryffindor because that's like the main one in the harry potter right franchise but yeah like every house has its pros and cons um for lack of a better way of describing them um you know some of them get made fun of for certain things like everyone always says well the slytherins are all the assholes of the harry potter universe you know like all the bad guys are slytherin but that's not necessarily true Slytherin is supposed to be for the ones who are really ambitious and uh, competitive, but not necessarily evil. They just kind of tend to skew that way. Um, Hufflepuff, for example, always get made fun of as being the the, the dumbasses or the, the silly ones of the of the books. But no, they're actually pretty uh, dedicated and you know focused on kind of particular things that are seen as uncommon, like herbology, for example. Um, but yeah, like Ravenclaws, I like them myself because they're the, the intellectuals, you know, that the pursuit of knowledge is, you know, vastly superior to the others. Like they, they really care about learning and, you know, discovering and a little bit different from the Gryffindors. Gryffindors are more about like 
being brave, like not necessarily the strongest or the brightest, but definitely will jump in head first into something. So it just depends. And what about yourself? Have you been sorted online somehow? Oh, oh yeah, I'm a Ravenclaw. You're a Ravenclaw too? Cool. Yeah. So yeah, I'm in good company then. <laughs> yeah. well, thank you. So uh, my next piece of news is a little bit of a follow-up kind of. because So a few months back, uh, after Kevin Smith did his uh, directing debut of Flash, TV debut of Flash, uh, he said that he wouldn't mind... Uh, writing and maybe directing on Arrow as well. He definitely wanted to bring. He wanted to. He wants to at least write a one, two story, two episodes story arc about Onwanapia. So, uh, and if he got to direct it, that'd be just great. However, after he made that announcement or you know a tweet or whatever, however he usually does this stuff, he just usually talks and people kind of blow a lot of things out of proportion. But uh, after he did that, a, lot, a certain uh, section of Arrow fans on the internet uh, kind of got up in arms talking about how they wouldn't want uh, Kevin to do that. And so he kind of got defensive and a little sad and said, fine, you know, that's fine with me. I don't really need to do it. But I think the, 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 the idea is resurfacing and uh, Stephen Amell got onto his Facebook and did a live chat with his fans. And so when someone asked him about uh, Kevin doing that, he said it's – I'd say they are uh, – they're good. Wait. They are good. I'd say they are good. He's not directing one this year unless things change, which they can't always can and they already have. So please try to interpret interpret that the best way you can. Uh I would love to jump in for, or and this is what Kevin said. I'd love to jump in for one or two episode arc just to bring in Amalapia character to life. And uh, when that was told to Stephen Amell, he said, "This is a fucking awesome idea." So Stephen Amell's behind it. I think it, it's been great. You know, there's there's been this history of turmoil between Kevin Smith and the TV show Arrow because when the first the Arrow first came out on TV, I believe he said. Uh, Kevin made some uh, comments about how it's very close to how he wrote his run of Arrow uh, when he was writing the comic book Arrow, bringing Oliver Queen back to life. And uh, I believe Mark Guggenheim kind of bashed Kevin Smith about it. But now that, you know, everybody's kind of working together, uh, all hurt feelings have been put aside. Yeah, they need to just hug it out. <laughs> I mean, they're all, you know, pretty rich people. They don't really need to have these petty bickering squalors, right? Unless Kanye's involved, in which case, take her away. <laughs> no, yeah, I think it'd be great. Uh, I like the character of Onomatopoeia. I think he's different. He's gimmicky, and, I mean, I'm more curious to see how they would pull it off on, you know, in a TV show setting. Um, but if it's just, like, a two-episode arc. I could see it being something like, you know, those special episodes of Buffy where, like, you know, no one can talk the whole episode or something, you know, it just... It, it'll be, like, one of those that's kind of a departure of the rest of the series, but still stands out. See, you know, when... Uh, and I was thinking exactly the same thing about the, the episode. Uh, I believe they're called... It's called Hush on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where, where no one was speaking. So mm. I think... That would work out pretty well if there's something similar were to happen on Arrow. 
uh, I am very also very curious of how uh, the character of Onomatopoeia would work on the screen because he works perfectly on paper, but that's on paper. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Hope it happens. Me too. So, your last article. My last one is um, the old 1960s campy sci-fi show Lost in Space is getting some new life. Uh, thanks to Netflix, who has ordered a 10-episode run of uh, you know reimagining of the series. It's uh, set to debut in 2018, and what has me the most excited about it, it's going to have some pretty interesting people behind it, um, such as one of the showrunners from Prison Break, as well as one of the directors from Game of Thrones. And it's being produced by Legendary, um, more specifically by a man named... John Jashney, uh, who is behind Godzilla and Pacific Rim. Very interesting, and those are, you know, great. Though I wouldn't say that I loved those movies, I definitely did not like Godzilla. You know, uh, (laughs) special effects-wise, those movies were amazing, so I can only imagine what, you know, they'll try and do with the TV show, and uh, an updated version of that TV show is going to only be that much better. You know, I kind of... I kind of wish that's what, if Fox ever gave the Fantastic Four back to Marvel Studios, or if they want to do it themselves, I would think that, you know, Fantastic Four as a TV show on Netflix would be a lot like Lost in Space with the whole family dynamic and having to pull together to do things like that, so. uh, Would you want it to be like a straight up, like, comedy or... No, I would want it to be. I would. I would want it to be like an action adventure comedy kind of thing, you know, uh, just like most sci-fi shows are, like Firefly. Ah, okay. So, cool, I, cool. Yeah, well, I mean, and I. I'm, and, I'm looking forward I, to it. <laughs> go ahead, John. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> I blame the delay. We uh, sometimes cut each other off. It's true. <laughs> I just I just know that you said earlier that you were uh, a big fan of the the movie that came out with uh, Joey. Nope, that's his character's name, Matt LeBlanc. I'd prefer. Yeah, it was Doctor Drake Ramore. <laughs> Doctor Drake Ramore as yeah. uh, uh, Major whatever. <laughs> yeah, Gary Oldman as Doctor Me or what was his name? Smith. Doctor Smith. Doctor Smith. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really liked that movie. I mean, it had its problems. Some of the CGI was a little crude in parts. But overall, I really liked the aesthetic. I thought the spaceship and the special effects as a whole were really cool. And they did a really good job, you know, with the campy premise of the series on a whole. Um, it just kind of missed the mark for some people, I guess. And Yeah, you, you know, know, as a person who never watched the old TV show, I enjoyed that movie a lot. Uh, I loved. I liked the fact that they did a lot of homages to the old TV show, as, as well as bringing in actors that were on the old TV show. So, uh, I mean, I don't see why that that didn't. Do, and William Hurt as the father, you know, that's a that's a great role for him. Yeah, uh, overall it was really good. So, I mean, hopefully the show has a, some of that spirit and maybe a little bit better writing. Let's let's hope so. <laughs> Uh, which would take us straight into our lineage for this week, which uh, I think we're going a little bold today uh, in um, honor of the season finale of season six. Uh, we're talking Jon Snow. 
Yeah, one of the arguably main characters of an ensemble television show and somebody who's been around since the beginning, still alive. Well, sort of. <laughs> uh, if you're not cut up by this point, spoilers, beware. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Jon Snow is one of my favorite characters, not just because we have the same first name. Um, you know, he's always been pretty cool, and it's one of those characters that, you know, you kind of relate to because, you know, he's kind of downtrodden. He has a sort of a tortured past uh, because of the fact that, you know, he is a bastard, which means that, you know, he lives with a high-born family, but he gets treated only slightly better than the help, you know, thanks to his adopted mother as well. His adopted mother um, and his uh, step-sibling or half-siblings, they all kind of... Other than Rob, well, I guess it's only Sansa that really treats him bad. Yeah, Sansa and uh, Theon were the only ones at Winterfell who really kind of openly mocked him. Uh, yeah, uh, but most everybody accepted him. Um, so basically at the beginning of the series, you see him as being sort of an equal to Rob Stark. Um, although you can tell that he's set apart from everyone else because he's not wearing the traditional kind of Stark garb. He's a little, he's dressed a little bit more commonly, and so you find out he's Ned, Ned the Stark's bastard. Um, well, at least you told that. that. Yes. Um, what this means in the Game of Thrones world is, um, you know, someone highborn had a, a baseborn child with a, you know, someone that was out of wedlock which means that this person cannot claim any of the lands or inheritance from his father. Um, unless? Unless he gets uh, legitimized by the king, which in most cases is kind of a tall order. That doesn't happen very often. But we did see it um, once in the show when it happened to Ramsay Snow. That is correct. He got uh, what is essentially a bastardization pardon, and he got to adapt, uh, adopt the uh, the sigil and the inheritance of House Bolton. Now, an interesting little fact that comes with um, legitimizing the bastards: um, even though a bastard can be legitimized, he technically cannot bear the arms of his family. Really? Um, you, you did see kind of an exception to that with the Boltons. I'm guessing because they don't care much for tradition anyway. Right. But traditionally, what's supposed to happen is if somebody gets legitimized, they have to, t and they want to have a, a banner, a sigil. It can be that of their fathers, but only if the colors are reversed or there's a red line going through it. Oh. So, for example, um, in the in the Targaryen family, there was a series of bastards that got legitimized, and they became known as the Blackfires. Their sigil became the reverse of the Targaryen, which was a red three-headed dragon on a black background well theirs became a black three-headed dragon on a red background interesting and like i said they became the the black fire family uh or you know house and um we're jumping around a little bit but that's okay because this one's a little more unorthodox than the other lineages um uh towards the end of the episode when stark gets declared king of the north uh, again spoiler alert um it's one of the houses, I believe it was House Glover, oh, you refers mean, to John. You mean when Jon Snow was crowned King of the North? Yes. Did they call him Jon Stark? Uh, no, they didn't call him Jon Stark. Okay. But one of the, the house members there referred to him as the White Wolf. 
Right. Now, the reason why that's interesting is because the Stark Sigil is a gray direwolf on a white snowy backdrop. Ah. So the, so the reverse of that would be a white direwolf with a, a gray backdrop. Interesting. Which fits him perfectly, obviously, because very few things like that are coincidental in this world. True. Um, so going back to a bit more of his um, his history, um, he decides uh, when the king is visiting Winterfell, because his uncle's also visiting Winterfell, the one that's the uh, Benjen, Benjen from right. Castle Black, that you know he's tired of just kind of being in the shadows of the Starks. There's really nothing for him there. Um, Particularly, uh, Caitlin Stark doesn't like him because he's a constant reminder of what is apparently his, you know, her husband's infidelity. Right. Um, the way all that played out, uh, Caitlin Stark was supposed to be originally married to Star uh, Ned's older brother, um, Brandon. Brandon Stark. Uh, when Brandon was killed by the Mad King, um, you know, she basically went down the line of succession to Ned. Ned had plans to marry someone else. Um, that's a whole other story we'll have to get into someday. I was going to say, have we ever seen this other lady that Ned was supposed to marry? No. As a matter of fact, I don't even think she's been mentioned in the show, not even in passing. Okay. But there is there is another woman that Ned Stark originally had a crush on, for lack of a better word, and um, was hoping to to maybe one day marry. And it was someone from a very prominent, very famous house. But the the uh, Robert Rebellion kind of just put a kibosh on that whole mess. Because... Destroyed that. Yeah, because alliance. Robert was also supposed to marry Ned's sister. or he, he was in love with Ned's sister, right? Well, they were promised to each other. But he ended up marrying Cersei because that's how you do things when you make alliances and take over kingdoms well, no, that, that came after that was after the rebellion was over oh okay yeah that was um and that also ties in with cersei was supposed to marry rhaegar targaryen and that whole thing went down because uh the mad king basically screwed over tywin because of jealousy and um ended up marrying rhaegar to elia martell of dorne instead so, yeah, like, nobody married who they intended to marry. It's like <laughs> musical chairs, basically. So Rhaegar, happens. Rhaegar is the Mad King, right? No, that's Eris. Eris was the Mad King. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Eris, the Mad King, um, he did everything in his power to screw over Tywin. Um, for example, you know, Cersei was supposed to marry Rhaegar. He changed that at the last minute. Um, he basically screwed... Tywin out of uh, his biggest heir, which is uh, Jamie Lannister, by knighting him in the Kingsguard, right? Which makes him forfeit, you know, lands, and he can't father children, and basically just, you know, puts a, a stop to the whole bloodline right there. Right. And of course, there was there was Tyrion, but nobody really thought twice about Tyrion at the time because he was a dwarf, and they didn't expect him to, you know, pretty much live that long. Right. Let alone actually become a player in this game. <laughs> um. So yeah, all of these things happen. Um, at the end of Robert's Rebellion, Ned Stark comes back home to Winterfell after he'd already been married to Caitlin, and I believe left her pregnant. So by the time he came back, she was already with um, with Rob. Rob, and he came back with the baby. And she was like, WTF is this, bro? <laughs> and uh, 
I'm paraphrasing. I don't think that was how it was written in the book. And um, pretty much hated that from then on. You know, he was a constant reminder of Ned's so-called infidelity. And, you know, it wasn't his fault, but, you know, Jon Snow got a lot of, you know, side glances and evil stares because of it. Now, based on the revelations that we had recently... It turns out that Ned Stark is not the father of Jon Snow. Right. However, he um, does have Stark blood going through him. Yes. That much has been said specifically by Ned Stark himself. Uh, at the last uh, conversation that they have before they part ways on the King's Road and you know Jon Snow goes north and the rest of the crew goes south, you know, Jon Snow wants to know about his mother. And Ned Stark looks pretty sad and says, you know, the next time we speak, I will tell you about your mother. Implying that the next time they speak, you know, Jon Snow was going to be a sworn brother. He was going to give up any lands or an inheritance and potential whatever. And he was also going to be untouchable, even from the king himself, which seems to be pretty important now that, you know, recent events come to light. Because should he be who is now, you know, he's being implied to be, he could have really thrown a monkey wrench in all of like Robert's, uh, King Robert's plans. Right now, going back to the the original statement, as we were saying, Ned Stark says he has his blood, if not his name, but he never says he's his father. Right. At least not to him directly, and they always joke around about that. Or, or you know, uh, even Lyanna Mormont says that uh, during their big rousing speech at the end, where she says, you know, he might not have the Stark name, but he has the Stark blood running through him. Now, I don't think she knows anything the audience doesn't already know, but it's it's an interesting way to phrase it. It definitely because is. Because it definitely is, you know, now that it's being shown he's Liana's son, which, quick side note, that baby had like a thousand yard stare straight out of the womb, didn't it? <laughs> it's, it's almost like it knew it was going to have a really hard future. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that baby was born mopey. See, now, I, I mean, and I know this is a little bit off the side again, but, like, I thought it was interesting, especially in this show where it's it's very deliberate what you name uh, your children when they're born. But uh, Jon Snow's mom was Lyanna Stark, and then the, the girl, Mor- Mormont, Lady Mormont, is also named Lyanna, right? Yes. So, I mean, I don't know... If there's going to be anything tied to, between them there, but I just thought that was interesting. Oh yeah, there's definitely like they like to pay homages to each other, and anytime there's somebody, uh, you know, like a important person with a, you know, their name tends to get passed around. So, um, yeah, like Brandon um, was a a really popular name in in the Stark family, dating all the way. Um, back to Bran the Builder, right? Uh, who was very famous in like the Age of Heroes, they call it, when the Wall was first built, as well as Winterfell and a lot of the the big keeps in the north. Uh, they were all attributed to one guy, uh, who said to have help from like the Children of the Forest and giants and stuff, which would make sense because you know building all of these huge structures in one lifetime would be a pretty heavy task. True. So so. Like you were saying, we, we now know because of flashbacks in the, the last episode, uh, inside the Tower of Joy, and I got it right this time instead of calling it yeah, the Tower yeah. of Justice. I was waiting for 
it was Lilliana Stark giving birth to Jon Snow, uh, Ned Stark's sister. That's right. And that confirms several theories that have been going on for a very long time, but it also raises new questions. Um, they were very careful not to mention who Jon Snow's father is. Now, I mean, it doesn't take much to kind of assume that it was potentially, you know, a character that hasn't been seen at all yet and only been discussed in, in light. They could be saving that reveal for later on because of the implications, but I find that kind of strange that at this point they're still holding out on that bit of information. Sure. Not only that, but they also, if you if you paid attention to when Liana's, you know, speaking her last words to Ned, they go silent when she says his name. Right. But several people online have tried to decipher what it means. Um, it's more than one syllable. It looks like it might be at least three. So. Being, as you said earlier, that, you know, names are very important, there's a very good reason for that, you know, and we just don't know what that is yet, but that's something to keep an eye on in the future. It's like something to do with John's name is going to be really important. So do you think she, did she name him John? I forget in the episode if it happened or not. Did she name him John? No. Um, the name John could come from a couple of different sources. Um, it could just be like a simple name that was easy to remember. Um, and Ned Stark gave it to him. Um, or it could be based on, and this is more like a book reference, but one of um, one of Rhaegar Targaryen's friends, his name is John Connington. And it could be a, a, a reference to that, or it could just be like that's the fact that it's a common name. Right, you know, okay. Common name. It, it's the equivalent of John Doe, essentially. Yeah, in, because the whole point was that Ned Stark was to hide the, the baby. Yes, it looks like the promise that he made to Lyanna was to protect it with his, with, you know, with his honor of, you know, basically saying it's his kid, not hers. Um, she does mention that if Robert finds out, you know, or that Robert can't find out. So, you know, she definitely knew that his life was going to be in danger from many sides, including one of Ned Stark's very own best friends. So. To know that your best friend might want to kill your sister's baby because of reasons, right? You know that's a pretty heavy thing to have to deal with. And if you remember in season one when they're having a conversation, um, Ned Stark and King Robert are, you know, he he offhand mixes a comment about you never told me about your bastard's mother, and Ned Stark's like, and I'm never going to. And he keeps prying a little bit. He's like, come on, what was her name? <laughs> and he just gives her a name or gives him a name, but, you know, doesn't want to speak anymore on the subject. Right. So it's, it's a touchy issue. And the whole thing with Ned Stark is that he was known as being, like, uncorruptible and being um, honorable to a fault, which eventually leads to his demise. Right. Which is why a lot of people have a hard time reconciling that the honorable Ned Stark would ever even father a bastard. You know, they 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 seem it they deem it suspicious, but they ultimately accept it because you know a man's still a man, and it makes perfect <laughs> sense that you know he would have gotten some action out in the road. Right. So 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 going to or before we leave the Tower of Joy, what who was it that was? that Ned was fighting outside the tower that was trying to keep Ned out. 
Oh man, that's going to be the subject of a whole another podcast. But that was Arthur Dane, um, the Sword of the Morning, is uh, his nickname. He was considered to be the best sword fighter in like all of Westeros history, like not even just contemporary, like of all time. Um, there was a legend regarding the fact that Ned Stark beat him, and until the Tower of Joy flashback, like you know, Bran was mentioning, it was like. He's supposed to be the best fighter, but my dad beat him. Like, didn't he? Like, what's going on here? Like, I've heard the story a thousand times. And, you know, come to realize that the, the true story of what happened was a little bit different than whatever the legends were telling. Right. Uh, where Ned Stark actually was about to lose. And then, you know, uh, Howell and Reed, the other surviving uh, northerner that was there, basically just, like, kills him from behind. So or at least incapacitates him. Yeah, much less honorable kill, which you could see Ned Stark was conflicting with. He was like, no, this isn't the right way. But, you know, also his duty to his family kind of gets the better of him. He says, well, screw it. He's already going to die now. I might as well take care of him, you know, give, put him out of his misery. But, yeah, Arthur Dane is um, considered to be well, – he was Rhaegar Targaryen's best friend and like, – Basically, the highest-ranking member of the Kingsguard. He was also the guy that taught Jaime Lannister how to fight. So, if you remember, um, in the earlier seasons when Jaime still had two hands, uh, there was a lot of references to how he was such a great fighter. And even in the one scene where he's face to face with Rob Stark, Jaime says, "Hey, why don't you and I settle this one on one? You know, two men go in, one walks out. We can save the lives of many men." Rob Stark's like, yeah, but if we did that, you would win. Kind of echoing the the exchange between Ramsey Bolton and Jon Snow a little bit. Um, yeah, so there's a lot to gather from that. Like, if you're just a show watcher, they're like, oh, that's interesting. One of the Kingsguard. Well, two of two of them were not with the king. They were guarding uh, apparently this tower with a pregnant woman inside. Right. You know, already you can kind of start drawing dots. Like, why would the Kingsguard not be protecting the king or at least the future prince? Instead, they're here watching this woman and this newborn baby. Right. And, you know, the, the machinations start turning a little bit. Um, it, it was said that had Arthur Dane been with Rhaegar Targaryen at the Trident, the battle would have turned out very differently. But instead, they were here, and, you know, things played out as we've seen them already. Uh, but yeah, like I was saying, like we can definitely do a whole another thing on the uh, the Dane dynasty and how the Robert Rebellion kind of screwed them over big time. Uh, one quick note too, just one since we're on the subject. I don't know if you noticed, but they paid special attention to show you the hilt of Arthur Dane's sword. I didn't notice. Yeah, the in the original in the, in the first flashback. He sticks the sword in the ground, and you can see clearly that on the pommel, there's a little bit of like a rising sun motif on his sword. Okay. And again, like they don't say this in the show, but you know his nickname is the Sword of the Morning. And and the second half of the flashback, which they showed in the last episode, he walks in with Arthur Dane's sword into the uh, the room with uh, Lyanna Stark, and he sets it against the foot of the bed. Again, with like a, a somewhat of a prominent shot of the pommel, so that you see again it has the little uh, rising sun symbol. That ties in somewhat to the prophecy 
we could probably do a whole nother lineage on just the prophecy of <laughs> the prince that was promised. Okay, well, but that could be next week. There's, that could be, yeah, we could definitely cover all that. I'll, I'll have notes and everything, because usually I just kind of fly off the cuff here. Um, but yeah, so um, Jon Snow apparently is born to Lyanna Stark. Is uh, Lyanna makes Ned promise to raise him as his own to protect his life. And eventually Ned Stark wants to reveal the truth, but never gets the chance to. So now that Bran knows, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he's able to impart this information to Jon Snow and how this is going to relate to the the oncoming War of the Queens, as I like to to call it. Fair enough. So and that's uh, is this uh, you're wrapping up on on Jon Snow? Uh, yeah, most everything else, you know, his time in the wall, we like we've seen in the show, so we'll, we'll leave that as you know, kind of speak for itself. But you know, he has had an interesting time up there. Okay, then uh, let's get right into the season finale of uh, the show of season six of Game of Thrones. Do you remember? I know I always say this every week, but do you remember what the name of the episode was? Uh, Winds of Winter. Winds of Winter. Is that the name of one of the books? That's the name of the next book that hasn't come out yet. Okay. The one that Martin is supposed to be working on right now? Yeah. Okay. That's right. <clears throat> Where would you like to go to first? Oh, wow. Well, let's begin where the show begins in King's Landing. <laughs> so let's start off with a bang, are you going to say? <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> So, yes, this is a very interesting uh, scenario happening here. The first thing we do is we see the the trial of uh, Sir Lawrence Tyrell. Or, yeah, Tyrell. And uh, you have the rest of the Tyrell family and uh, Marjorie sitting at... Uh, what's the, the, the church? It's called, a, it's called something, right? The it's Scepter. The, the, the Grand Sept of Baylor. Okay. So they're all sitting in there waiting uh, for him to basically uh, confess? Yes, he was to confess his sins before the, the seven, of which they actually had seven people sitting in a circle around the star, um, representing each of the, the gods, I suppose. And um, yeah, he completely just spilled the beans. He said everything. I was like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm gay, basically, and uh, I've done, you know, things I'm not proud of anymore but you know with the grace of the seven I hope to devote my life to to uh, you know atoning for everything wrong that I've done and Marjorie's like no he took the Kool-Aid <laughs> so I, th- I also thought it was interesting that the High Sparrow mentions only two of the seven gods when he's giving his little speech why not mention all seven do you think it just took too long well, I think it's because he's. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to. I'm going to try to put it in Catholic terms. Okay. Because that's what I'm most familiar with. But so, like, you know how when you go confess, assuming you know if you know about Catholicism, if you go confess, you know whatever your things are that you did wrong, supposedly, the priest will then tell you, okay, well, you need to do like five Hail Marys, three Our Fathers, whatever. That's obviously not all of the prayers that exist in like the canon. Right, but that's the. You're, that's what you have to say in order to 
atone. You know, repent, I guess. Repent. So I think it's kind of like that. I was like, well, the sins that you did were an affront to these gods specifically. So they're the ones that will judge you or something to that effect. Like, okay. I'm, I'm kind of butchering it, but that's kind of how, like, in my brain it makes sense. Okay. Like, not all of the – I mean, the maiden doesn't really apply. Well, what are um, the seven, I guess? That would be a good question. Um, Let me see. The There's the mother, the father, the crone, the maiden, the warrior, uh, the smith, and the stranger. And the two yeah, that he mentions all. are the warrior and the mother? I believe so, yes. Okay. So, like, the mother is the one that's mostly related to mercy. And the warrior, I don't remember what he said that one had to do with it, but I'm guessing it's because he himself was a warrior or something. I, I, I'm kind of butchering that one a little bit. But, yeah, the warrior is the one that's supposed to give you strength and you know, face your fears, that kind of thing. So he's probably saying, like, look to them for their mercy and their strength, I guess, to, to get through this. Okay. It's my interpretation anyway. So then, uh, after sentences is, is placed on Sir Lawrence and his sentences to become one of the the sparrows, right? Yeah, he he renounces inheritances and all the name and everything, which kind of goes against the agreement that Marjorie made with the High Sparrow. But High Sparrow was like, "No, nope, that's kind of what we saw, we talked about." Yep, and it was kind of his choice too. Like he basically volunteered that sacrifice. The Sparrow just kind of smirks and be like, "Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so- gods are making him do it." <laughs> So at this point, the High Sparrow is feeling really great about himself. and Oh, yeah. I don't know if you noticed, too, but he also wore his best, like, smock, too. It was, like, slightly finer than his normal, like, rough-spun, like, potato sack that he wears. <laughs> Which I did find funny because they show him putting it on, yet he still doesn't look like he's bathed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's still Probably got dirt just, good. like, smudged on his face. And I'm like... I. I mean, is it is it against your religion to, to like, bathe, to clean yourself? I don't understand. I so. think it might be seen as sort of like a vanity. Um, you know, like, oh, why are you trying to get all clean for? You know, <laughs> you think you're better than everyone? Well, I mean, you're doing stuff in the church. I, I just feel like it's not so much vanity as respect. Yeah, I, I think he's taking it back old school. That's why. I mean, he always walked around everywhere barefoot, so he probably had some mean calluses. <laughs> you know, it's just. So I then, uh, as as Cersei Lancer has not shown up for her trial, he sends out a few of the sparrows with the. Uh, uh, what's his name? Lannister, a Lannister cousin, Lancel. as their leader. Lancel? Yeah. Okay. As their leader and. As he's supposed to go get Cersei Lannister, he sees a child. Yeah, he sees a suspicious kid kind of just running around, and something piques his interest about that. So he's like, hey, I'm going to go check this out. <laughs> and he follows him into like what appears to be catacombs or some kind of underground tunnels. And all of the, this whole sequence starts to get really interesting because then you start hearing a lot of music. Um very little dialogue and then you start intercutting with the red keep as well you start seeing cersei apparently getting ready mm-hmm. um you know getting dressed in like really cool 
black clothing. Um, you see the king also getting ready, Tommen. However, the mountain prevents him from leaving his room. Yeah. And I was like, That's your first sign that something's not right. I actually thought that she had sent him there to actually hurt the kid at first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. The, they're going to hurt someone else, and we'll get to that one pretty soon. <laughs> so, yeah, then you start... You, you get mostly a musical sequence with, uh, you know, scenes intercutting between what's going on in the Sept of Baylor, um, Cersei at the Red Keep, and Lancel in the tunnel with, you know, looking for this kid, trying to figure out what's going on. It definitely seems like he's being baited, and um, the sim- a similar thing's happening over at the Red Keep as well with uh, Grand Maester Pycelle. Right. Um, a little suspicious-looking kid says, hey, uh, the king wants you, so, like, follow me. And, you know, like, you, just a textbook example of how to build suspense you know you're following people kind of going to their fates essentially right and it heavily reminded me of the godfather the the church sequence at the end very Spoiler. much so. <laughs> seen it? yeah it's like they're setting up you know like cersei is in full michael corleone mode right now it, it, with part of it even taking place in a church and <laughs> other people going about their business not realizing what's about to go down um, so, Lancel finally stops and sees um, some lights at the end of the tunnel, ironically, and then he gets <laughs> shot in the back by one of these little kids. And it must have been like a perfect kidney shot because Lancel's immediately down. He's oh, he like, drops. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he just crumples. You know? He's on the floor like, ow, my back. Meanwhile, and- Grandmaster Pycelle has also made his way over to uh, Kaigen's. Kyburn's. Kyburn's office. Yeah, he he makes his way to Kyburn's little dungeon, to which he's like, "What is this? What's going on?" And uh, oh yeah, we forgot to mention that for the second time in the show's like run, we see Pycelle with a hooker. <laughs> right. Um, it was soon afterwards, and um, so he was like, "I don't have time for this shenanigans," and Kyburn, like. I don't think there was any malice in his voice or like in his words, but he was basically saying, you know, you deserve better than this. You know, someone of your stature, you are a grand maester after all, but you know, times are changing. And with that, you have to get rid of the old to make way for the new. That's when he realizes he's surrounded by little kids (laughs) and little kids are holding little sharp objects. (laughs) And uh, they start to kind of circle around him like predators. I kind of imagine them like the compies from Jurassic Park. Yeah. You know, circling <laughs> someone. You know, like, you know, one alone is not a big deal, but once they start surrounding you, like, oh, crap. Yeah. I would definitely say this is one of my fears ever since Children of the Corn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So what do you – do you think there was any significance to the fact that it was children? Children in both the Grandmaster Pycelle and Lancel uh, Lannister – scenarios yeah because it's it's sort of a i think it's symbolizing the perversion of what existed before you know like um Varys would use children but never put them in harm's way you know they were strictly for information use only and he would record reward them as such cersei and kyburn are in turn taking what existed and like just putting it on steroids you know like basically overkill is the the mode of operation for them now so it's it's kind of like yeah you know you're taking something that was 
a tool and now you're using it for destruction. Right. Like more directly at least. Um they kind of reminded me a little bit of the kids from Hostel. You ever seen that one? Uh I I've seen Hostel, but I don't I don't remember the kids being used in it. Yeah, the Eastern European like street urchins that, you know, kind of harass you for cigarettes and if you don't give them something they'll start shanking you also. <laughs> um yeah, it's kind of interesting. They probably get inspired by that because, you know, truth is stranger than fiction sometimes. Very true. Anywho, so we cut back to Lancel, and he's crawling through the tunnel because he sees, again, a light at the end. He's trying to investigate still, even though he's, like, you know, wounded. And he starts to notice that there's these barrels along the sides of the of the, the tunnel, and some of them are leaking green liquid. And I was like, hello, what's this? And it <laughs> keeps going further to the light. And then he sees what we suspect, you know, have been expecting for a while now. There's some wildfire up in this place. Oh, not just and some. It, <laughs> there's a lot of wildfire. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so they have a really cool system that basically a time bomb where they have candles in a little puddle of wildfire as soon as that candle hits the bottom you know the thing's gonna go boom and it, i i don't know about you but to me it seemed like he was gonna try to put it out you know he was trying to get closer and closer to uh i don't know maybe blow on it or you know lick his fingers and take out the wick or something right but he doesn't get to no right as uh as tensions are rising in the red keep Marjorie starts to realize, hey, wait a minute, guys. Cersei knows the consequences of not being here, and she's still not here. Right. I thought this was a very funny or very poignant uh, exchange between Marjorie and uh, and the High Sparrow because the High Sparrow now, up until this point, has really played the game pretty well with being able to counter every one of Cersei's moves or thinking steps ahead and... Marjorie's trying to tell her, tell him that, look, she's not here. And he just keeps going off about like, well, even if she's not here, we can still try her. We can definitely, we got this. We're, you know, we're going to win. <laughs> and she's like, no, you're not listening to me. He, she's not here. She knows that there's a penalty for not being here. And she's chosen not to be here. This means something. And he's like, it even takes him even longer because he's still going off about how, uh, you know, it's, it, we, we're going to win. We, we, we got this in the bag. Even if she's not here, we can still try her. And then eventually he's like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, and then it hits him. He, he was already doing his, like, touchdown dance at the one-yard line. <laughs> like, oh, wait. And, see, I give mad props to Marjorie for being the smart one and figuring things out. You know, this whole time she was actually, you know, playing along and still getting by. And, you know, ultimately it didn't do her any good, but... You know, she gets A for effort. You know, she, <laughs> she figured it out. I mean, do you, do you feel that if... So, in the, in the very next couple of uh, minutes, you know, that's when the, the candle goes... Or the, the, the fire... The fire the, the fire in the candle finally hits the wildfire, blows up the, the, the church with everybody in it, with everybody trying to scramble to get out, but the high sparrow has made it so that no one can get out. So they all basically die together. But my question is, do you think if she had lived just a little longer, and by a little, I mean like 
months, a month longer, would she have been able to correct what some of the High Sparrow had done? Was she trying to, basically, was she trying to ride the wave so that she can get Cersei out of the way and then she'd be the queen and then she would be able to correct things for her family and her brother and maybe get Tommen out of the whole church stuff? Or uh, do you think she didn't really have a plan? Well, I think her plan was definitely to work from within. Um, because Tommen was already fully invested in this, the, the, the church and everything, and bought the whole line about how the, the crown and the church are the, the pillars that the world is built on, I right. think she was going to try to make the changes from within. I was, um, I was just going to say, though, but the only reason why he bought into it is because of her. I mean, he, he obviously he's a... 14 year old kid that got to have some with a very hot woman who's now supposed to be his wife and he's uh see i i think that's the key though i think it's uh if she withheld the getting some portion of it she could then start to sway his way of thinking a little more uh that that too i mean it's he's all hormones so (laughs) either way it's gonna she's gonna be able to control him uh and that's what i'm and i guess that's kind of what i'm saying is that will she uh, like you're you're saying that uh, she's going to work from within. So after the trials and stuff, she would then kind of sway him back out of the church. Yeah, I think had she survived, but everything else still happened accordingly, then a large part of the problem would have been taken care of already because the the church would have been demolished, and you know most of the sparrows would have gone with it. So there they would have been a task. I mean, and she already was the kind of person that liked outreaching to the poor and having, like, a good relationship with the commoners. Mm-hmm. So I think she would have used it to her advantage and possibly even demonized Cersei even more to get more people on her side. Ultimately, for Cersei's sake, it was great that everything worked out the way it did. Well, except for one little thing, but we'll get to that one next. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, right. So uh, we'll go ahead and talk about that now. It's because now we've blown up the keep. Cersei has gotten her way. She she doesn't have to go to her trial. She's, uh, once again, you know, uh, there's not going to be this church in the way of between her and her son. And so she assumes that that, that relationship is going to be repaired. However, Tommen, being all hormones, <laughs> decides to take the way of uh, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite meme that came out of that whole sequence was Tommen took King's Landing a little too literally. <laughs> there was a lot of great memes that came out of this uh, yeah. this uh, this episode. I think. As a side note, how badass was Cersei when she's watching the the Sept of Baelor blow up? Wait a couple of moments and then take a sip of her wine. <laughs> like that's straight up baller right there. <laughs> so. Does now that Tommen has killed himself, does I, I guess it all goes back to her being the the queen regent, right? Yes, she's in she charge. Would be, she would be the next one because, as we talked in the last episode, I believe, um, as far as uh, what Baratheons remain, there really are none now. Right, and that and I, I did want to bring that up because we were asked in the last episode by a listener. Uh, where are all the Baratheons? And as we explained, there are none. There are no Baratheons left, at least none in name other than Tommen. Until now, and Tommen has now taken his na- his his life, he, there are none left in name other than her. 
technically she's Cersei Baratheon. That's right, yeah. So, and then, I mean, yes, there are bastards out there, but none of them have claim, really have claim to the to the throne because they don't have the name. There's no way to prove that they are Robert Baratheon's kid. Right, and even then, virtually none of them know that Robert Baratheon is their father. Like, I don't believe Gendry knows at this point. And uh, the few people that did know, most of them are dead. I believe Varys might be one of the few living people that still knows that some of the bastards are out there. Right. Um, but if that, that being the case, then you then have the the logic of who would benefit from him being you know, named or legitimized at this point, and who would legitimize him at this point. Um, maybe the opposing queen, but then you'd have to wonder if that suits her. It, it's a whole mess, you know. It's, like, it's probably better he doesn't reappear at this point. True. Yeah, exactly. So he, he could stay on his SS lost plotline yeah. <laughs> boat. <laughs> and then uh, Cersei, and I don't remember if in which order it happens, but Cersei also managed to keep uh, the one... I don't know. Are they called nuns? Uh, those are called septas. Septas. Okay. The septa that was particularly torturous to her, uh, away from the rest of the, the sparrows or the church or the, the faith militant. And she has her in the dungeon and is now said, look, I'm, I'm going to make your life hell. <laughs> And uh, reminded her of of the things that she did to 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 Cersei. So even to the point where the the Septa like said, "Go ahead, bring on death. I'm okay with it." And she's like, "No, you're not going to die today." <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> this is when Cersei really starts getting scary because then she starts tattling her all of her sins, and she says, "You know what?" Under the right conditions, confessing actually feels kind of good. <laughs> I was like, oh, so what's going to happen? Yeah. And yeah, she starts spilling wine on her face and telling her, like I told you, like I would be looking down on you smiling as you die. And like you said, yeah, she was like, all right, bring it. I'm ready to meet the seven. And she was like, oh, no, you're not going to die today. And this is your new god, by the way. <laughs> and in walks the mountain. Not just the mountain, but zombie mountain. <laughs> Frank mountain, yeah. So uh, um, it, he takes his helmet off, so we get to see sort of for the first time what he looks like now that he's been like resurrected, and he doesn't look too good. No, no and he, it's unclear exactly what's going on, but I think we're supposed to imply. Maybe this is just me, but I think we're supposed to imply that. Um, because one of the things that the mountain was known for in life was to be an avid raper, that he was going to be like just having his way with the septa. Uh, that's, I mean, that's kind of what I inferred from the from the scene as well. And now it's even added horror of him being a grotesque undead monster. <laughs> yeah, I was like, hope it doesn't detach or something. <laughs> Let's just hope we don't get zombie babies, too. <laughs> oh, man. Dead Alive would be, like, awesome in Westeros. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I ask for the Lord. I think, and then as as she's closing the door, she's she's repeating shame, 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 which obviously is a callback to her having to uh, do her walk of atonement with uh, the same septa following behind her, ringing the bell, saying shame. So, I mean, obviously it was very much just desserts for uh, Cersei's character, or, or at least the, 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 the faith militant in, in, in full. Oh, yeah. She's definitely giving back just as good as she could, or but just as good as she got. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot how to English. <laughs> um. And the very last part of uh, what happens to King's Landing, I think, is uh, her getting the news that her son has killed himself and uh, Kyber and asks, you know, what, what to do with the body. And she says, well, sh- he should be placed with his uh, brother and sister. And does she say father? No, she says her father, her, his grandfather. Yeah. So she says, burn the body and place the ashes with the rest of the, at the rest of the septa. Yeah. And, um, her reaction was kind of detached. It's like, like with with each child that she lost, she kind of cared less. And culminating with this one, where she was just kind of like not even that bothered looking. Well, you know, I don't. What was the name of the daughter? Marcella. See, I don't think that she cared less. She had any less care for uh, Marcella after, or uh, as opposed to Joffrey. It's just think that she was upset that she wasn't allowed to go see the body. Well, yeah, but when she first found out that Marcella was dead, when Jamie was coming back, and you can see that there was like a body covered in the, the little rowboat, you know, she she did look upset, but not nearly as much as when you know Joffrey died right in front of her. It's almost like she knew she was kind of half expecting something bad and was a little bit more braced for it. Uh, fair enough, I, I could definitely see that. This one though is interesting because this was directly the result of Cer- Cersei's actions. So I wonder if that was something that she had taken into consideration or if it was if she's finally like resigned herself to the prophecy that she heard as a child that she would like all three kids of hers would die before she did. Maybe that's just her like, well, I mean, this part of the prophecy is true, but maybe I can still fight the rest of it. (laughs) Uh, I also found it funny that uh, Lady Tyrell, the, the grandmother, when speaking uh, with something Sand, I can't remember what her name is. Oh, um, Laria Sand? Yeah, say, talking about how she wants her revenge on uh, Cersei Lannister for killing her grandchildren and her son. I mean, technically, she killed Joffrey. Yeah, I mean, karma's a bitch, you know? <laughs> But, I mean, one could argue that, I mean, I don't know if you could say it was more justified, but, you know, Tommen was considered to be a monster by many, and one of the things they you wanted mean Joffrey? to... Joffrey? Or, yeah, who did I say? Tommen. Tommen, no, yeah, Joffrey. Joffrey um, was considered by most to be a monster, even by Cersei herself. Yeah. Um, and one of the things they wanted to avoid was to have, to, to protect um, Marjorie. Because you know they they asked Sansa directly like well, how's what's Joffrey really like and she was like he's a monster you know he beats me or he has me beaten and you know he had a tendency to kill hookers and who knows what else I think in the books they mentioned he liked torturing animals as a kid but I don't think they mentioned that on the show 
Um, so he had the makings of a serial killer, basically. Right. And um, they kind of were like, well, we can't have that happen. You know, it would be for the better of everyone if, you know, he died. Um, again, I mean, depending on how you view the grand scheme of things and morality and all that, you know, like maybe murder is not justified no matter what. Maybe the needs of the many, you know, outweigh the needs of the few. If you want to uh, Star Trek route. Yeah, but don't 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 give her that much credit. She wasn't looking out for the needs of the many. She was looking out for Marjorie. Yeah, her family. That's true. They wanted, they definitely wanted a king that was more easy to control. Right, and and they knew they would get that with Tommen. They definitely got that with Tommen. No, okay, so no, you're right. He, I would say it was definitely a justified murder to to take out Joffrey because he was a he was a psychopath, uh, and and no one wants to marry off their granddaughter to that. However, you could say that this started off the whole. Uh, the whole succession or the whole chain of events that would eventually become the, the explosion, you know, cause at that point you have the secession go on to Tommen and then, uh, there's a trial for the, the murder of Joffrey and, uh, with the trial comes, uh, uh, the red Viper, you know, and then, uh, with that, they send Marcella over to Dorne. She gets killed there as Jamie Lance is trying to bring her back. And uh, the, because the Red Viper is killed at the trial of the, 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 the death of Joffrey, and uh, you know, and then Tommen, who is infatuated with Marjorie, uh, who dies because of the explosion, then kills himself. So, I mean, it's all kind of tied in together, the fact that just because of this one event. It's like the butterfly effect, huh? <laughs> and with that, I want to go ahead and end this right here for this week as part one. And then next week we can talk about the rest of the episode since it's such a major episode. Uh, a lot of things happen and we have a lot to cover. What do you think, John? I say let's do it. Sounds good. So, like uh, we say every week, if there's anything more that you want us to delve into or more you want us to talk about, John is obviously a wealth of information, so you should use him when he's at your disposal, uh, write into us. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at agent underscore of the underscore bat. John? I'm at Magic Bollocks on Twitter and John Camarena on Facebook. And as I showed earlier, I know about a bunch of other geek fandoms like harry potter so it doesn't have to be limited to just game of thrones if you want to talk about anything oh this is uh, true i mean if you go back and listen to uh <laughs> the hey mitch podcast that i did with john uh months ago you listen to that episode you'll see that he is yeah you're you are a wealth of knowledge on a lot of fandoms so <laughs> yeah and uh, you guys got the comic book stuff covered so yeah, I'm cool <laughs> with pretty much anything else after that uh you can get the all of Geek Elite Radio at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter. And Geek Elite Radio on Facebook uh, is where we have most of our conversations. So definitely uh, come there and be part of the community. And then make sure you check out our website, geekeliteradio.com, for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But until next week when we do our part two of the season finale of, of season six, Game of Thrones, this has been the Geek's Watch on Geek Elite Radio saying... Always remember yeah. to. <laughs> I screwed it up. <laughs> yeah, I was like... my, my, my brain farted for a second. So let's try it one more time. Always remember to geek out. Geek out. out. <laughs>
we now return you to your regular...